0: Have seeking, or you are you are seeking a relationship with us, God. And you sent your Son to die for us, that we can freely know you and with boldness ap- approach your throne, and God. As we come into your presence to hear from you, God, we seek your voice, your wisdom. God, change our hearts. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for being here. If you are a child, kindergarten to third grade, if you want to go to Children's Church, you can dismiss out the back with Miss Tammy. Um, For the rest of you, if you're staying with us and you're a child and you'd like, there's some kids' pages on that uh, back table. There's sermon notes that go along with the sermon today. If you grab one of those, fill it out, come see me afterwards, I'll have um, a piece of candy for you. Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad uh, you joined us this morning in person or online. We are hopping back into our series. We're calling uh, "Shining Like Stars in Babylon," Um, and in the sixth century BC, the Israelites, God's people, uh, found themselves conquered and exiled in the nation of Babylon. It was during this time period and within the exile that Daniel lived, and the book of Daniel was written. It was during this, also during this time, that the prophet Jeremiah spoke God's word over the nation of Israel. And what makes this period so unique for us to study today? is that this was a time in Jewish history in which God's people weren't in their own land. They weren't surrounded by their own culture. During this time in history, God's people were living their lives in a foreign land, in a foreign culture. And that reality makes God's instruction to them and their example incredibly relevant to us today. The Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus, our citizenship lies in heaven, but yet we are called to live out our lives here in the world. This world which does not uh, think and believe like us. Jesus in John 17 says that we, like him, are not of this world, although we live in this world. And Jesus also says in John 19 that we, like him, are sent to this world uh, with the purpose and mission of leading people to righteousness, to forgiveness, to hope, which is found in him alone. Our theme verse for this series has been Daniel 12:3, And it reads, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So our call, our mission as we live for Jesus in this world is not to damn the world to hell. It's not to conquer it through politics. It's not to isolate and hide from it. But our call, our mission as Christians is to shine like stars for God and to lead as many as possible to righteousness, which which is found in Jesus alone. So today we come to Jeremiah 29. And Jeremiah 29 might be my favorite passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Now this passage of Scripture includes a verse that very well might be hanging on your wall or might be on your Instagram or Twitter page, but this passage is so much more than that single verse. And what we're going to see in this passage is Jeremiah delivered God's instruction to the exiles on how it is there to live their lives, to live out their faith within the context of a foreign nation and a foreign culture. And within that, we see our instruction on how it is we are called to live out our faith in this world and in this culture, which does not follow our God. And frankly, this instruction is going to fly in the face of our instincts, and it's going to fly in the face of how many churches and Christians live their lives today. So we're in Jeremiah 29. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 um, as we study God's word to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah writes, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, to the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. Jeremiah entrusted this letter to Elsa son of Shaphan, and to Jamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. All right, well, real quick, uh, that passage, that stuff, those names are significant because uh, it, it provides a time when this letter was written. And this letter was written during the same time period as Jeremiah 24, which we studied last week. If you remember, Daniel and his friends were exiled to Babylon in the first invasion in 605 BC, and then in 590... 597 B.C., Jerusalem was invaded once again, and King Jehoiachin, as well as others, were exiled to Babylon. So Jeremiah, during this time, remained in Jerusalem, calling the people there to repentance, and warning them that if they didn't return to God, they too would be exiled. That's going to happen in 587 B.C., a third invasion. If you were with us last week, uh, we saw that those who remained in Jerusalem assumed that they were a little better than those that had been exiled. But what we we really saw was that God was working in the lives of the exiles and he was redeeming them and leading them to return to him. So while Jeremiah remained in Jerusalem sharing God's word with the people there, this letter, Jeremiah 29, is God's message through the prophet Jeremiah to those that are already living in exile. This passage is God's instruction to Daniel, his friends, and all the exiles on how to live in Babylon and how to shine like stars in the midst of a foreign culture. This is the message, the mission that we will see lived out through Daniel and others in the book of Daniel. And this is the message, the mission for us today as we live out our lives in the midst of the world. All right, verse four. Here's what Jeremiah says It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, there do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this word that has been, uh, that's been protected and that is, ha- that is here for us today. God, we thank you for this word uh, that you gave through Jeremiah to the exiles uh, in Babylon. God, we thank you for how many of them lived this out and how you used it for your glory and your good. God, I pray today is that as we study your message to the exiles in Babylon, Lord, that we would apply it to our lives. And that we would be a people, that we would be individuals, that we would be a church uh, that seeks after you, that seeks to glorify you today where you have placed us. God, and we pray that our community, our friends, our neighbors would be better because we are here. And God, only we pray that many would find their hope and eternal life in you alone. God, we love you and praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let me provide just one more uh, element of background, and then we'll hop into the passage. As we learned last week and now this week, Jeremiah is a true prophet of God, and his message is a difficult one. His message is that because of Israel's disobedience, they will be exiled for 70 years before they are allowed to return home. Uh, that's, a, that's a long time. 70 years is a long time. For most, that means that they will spend the remainder of their lives in Babylon. They will live and die without seeing home again. And yet, as we saw last week, this difficulty is for their good. As God in His grace is allowing them to be exiled so that they return to Him, so that their hearts are restored, so that their sins are forgiven. But all of that is very difficult news for the people to hear. Well, during that time, there were other false prophets who weren't sharing God's word, but were instead sharing their own picture of the future. And it was a much more rosy picture. We see that in verses 8 and 9. You can read about it in chapter 28. But once the nation was taken into captivity, false prophets arose amongst the people, specifically a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah arises, and he begins telling the people what they want to hear. He begins telling them that within two years God is going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon and He is going to return the people to their homes. This is in direct opposition to what Jeremiah had prophesied and to what God is doing. In chapter twenty-eight, Jeremiah and Hananiah they go back and forth, and then ultimately God uh, takes out the unrepentant Hananiah. And so as we read chapter twenty-nine, it comes in response to the nation and they'll be in captivity, but it also comes into response to. Hananiah and his false promises. But we'll touch on him more later. But That's the brief background we get for Jeremiah 29. The people are in captivity in the early stages of their 70 years. And Hananiah is filling their heads with lies. And so the Lord speaks. Uh, And the first thing I want us to see today in this passage is that to shine in this world, I must trust that it's God that has placed me where I am. Or I must trust that God has placed me. With the Israelites, it was God, and not the circumstances of the world, not the king of Babylon, but it was God who had placed the nation in Babylonian captivity. We, see that in Jer- we saw that in Jeremiah 24, but we also see it here in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a physical vessel of taking them to captivity, but it was God that sent them. God here says that it was I that carried them off to exile. It was God that placed them where they are. Likewise, our lives aren't just random. We aren't all here in Green River by chance. We have all been placed here by God for a purpose. For some of us, that might be for a lifetime. While for others, it might be for a short time. But we are all here not by chance, but for a purpose intentionally placed here by God. So one of the ways we shine in this world is by recognizing that our life has purpose and we are placed where we are by God with intentionality. You are where you are for a reason. And God has given you a purpose and a mission for your time where you are. This is hard because we live in a driven culture of the American dream where we are always looking for the next place, the next job, the next promotion, more recognition, more money, better house, better view, whatever it is that drives you. We are always looking forward to the next thing. And in the midst of that, we tend to diminish the importance of where we are. And we often fail to put down roots because we are hoping to move on. But in doing so, we often miss what God has in store for us in the right now, in our present location. God has you here in Green River, here at Living Hope Church, not by chance, but for a purpose. Just as he had the exiles in Babylon for a purpose. So if we want to shine in this world, if we want to lead people to Jesus in this world, then we must embrace that our life has a purpose and a mission in God's kingdom. And he has us where we are today for a reason. And Jeremiah is going to reveal that purpose and mission for the exiles in the coming verses. A movie that I love that that illustrates this uh, principle is the movie uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or remember it. But the movie is the story of Mr. Holland. And Mr. Holland is a musician. And he has grand dreams of making a big splash in the world. He desires and dreams that the whole world will know his name. That they will know his talent. He dreams of playing in great symphony halls. And one day writing his own world-renowned symphony. This is what drives him. It's what he thinks about. It's what he dreams of. He has little time for the presence because he's so focused on this grand dream he knows he will accomplish. Well, the movie begins with him stepping aside from being a stage musician and taking on a a teaching job as a music teacher to pay the bills to spend time with his family and so that he can spend time focused on writing his symphony. He takes the position with the mindset of the job as temporary, that the job is a means to the end of him writing that symphony. He hates his job, he hates the kids, and he is miserable. Then he has a conversation with a principal that begins to change everything for him. The principal invites him to be a part of the textbook committee, uh, but he passes. And she says to Mr. Holland, for a good four to five months I have been watching you, and I have never seen a teacher sprint to the parking lot after last period with more speed and enthusiasm than his students. To which he replies, Mrs. Jacobs, I get here on time and I do the job the very best I can. She doesn't let him off the hook. And she says, a teacher has two jobs, Mr. Holland. To fill young minds with knowledge, yes. But more importantly, to give young minds a compass so that the knowledge does not go to waste. Now, I don't know what you are doing with knowledge, Mr. Holland. But as a compass, you are stuck. And with these words, she challenges him to invest where he is, to put down roots, to not just see the job as temporary. And once he begins to embrace where he is, everything begins to change in his perspective, and in the impact he has. We'll come back to Mr. Holland in a second. But you see, when you embrace where you are, when you embrace that God has a purpose for your life, it frees you to shine, to live a life of impact for God where you are. So know that God has you where you are for a purpose, for a reason. Let's look at verses 4 through 6, in which Jeremiah records the direction given to the people of Israel from God. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So point two is this. To shine in this world, I must invest where God has me. The advice is simple. In their case, it's going to be 70 years that they're going to be placed in Babylon. For you, it may be a year, five years, 25 years, or a lifetime that you are planted where you are. But the message is the same, and it's simple. Live life, set up roots, and prosper where the Lord has placed you. Again, that can be difficult if you don't know how long you're going to be there, but that's the call. Because when we fail to live out our call and our purpose to make Jesus known, to serve others, to love others today, then we waste the opportunity we quickly waste our years. So the advice of the Israelites is simple. Build houses, plant gardens, enjoy the food, enjoy where you are, get to know the people around you, allow your kids to marry and move on, and continue planted where you are to the next generation until I move you on. Paul in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says like this, he says, Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of your time. We have a limited amount of time on this earth. Don't waste it looking ahead or behind. Make an impact where you are with what you've been given. This past week in small group, we were in 2 Corinthians 5, and we spent a lot of time talking about this truth. There are things that God has called us to do during our time on earth, and there are things that we can only accomplish for the kingdom on this side of eternity. So we must be a people that live with purpose and intentionality. All right, back to Mr. Holland real quick. So this is what he did. His dream of writing a symphony, traveling the world, and being a world-famous musician turned into 30 years of teaching music to high schoolers. And although he felt like his life had been a failure because he had not achieved this plan and this dream, the last scene of the movie reveals the impact he's had. A former student stands up who is the current governor in the midst of a packed room celebrating his retirement, and she says this. She says, Mr. Holland has had a profound influence on my life. On a lot of lives that I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it, he was always working on this symphony of his. And this was going to make him famous, rich, and probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich and he isn't famous. At least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think of himself as a failure. And he would be wrong. Because I think that he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you, Mr. Holland. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. She said, we are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. You see, when we embrace where God has placed us and we catch the vision to make him known where we are, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, in our schools, then no matter where we are, we can make an eternal difference for the King. For most of us, our call won't include worldly fame. It won't include packed auditoriums. Our names will never be in the headlines of ESPN or in the credits of a movie, and that's okay. That doesn't mean our life can't have an impact. It doesn't mean our life can't point people to Jesus. It doesn't mean our life doesn't matter. God calls us to be faithful where he has placed us and with what he has given us. And for some, that does include worldly fame, and we are thankful and we pray for those brothers and sisters that are called to carry out their faith in the limelight. We're going to see it in a few weeks with Nebuchadnezzar, but there are few threats to our faith like pride and worldly recognition. So we pray for those that are called to live out their faith in that environment. But for most of us, our call is to be faithful, to fulfill our mission right where God has placed us, to fulfill our mission in the schools Clinics, offices, mines, restaurants, ball fields where God has placed us. Your responsibility my responsibility is to be faithful to honor God and make Him known where He has us today. And in that, it doesn't matter if you're the mayor, a barista at Starbucks, the janitor, a miner, a teacher, a bus driver, a manager, or a cafeteria worker. God has placed you where you are, and you can make a difference in the lives of those that you interact with daily. Embrace where you are, set down roots, Make friendships, love those around you, pray for them often, and point them to Jesus. And we're going to see this lived out over and over in the book of Daniel. Over and over, God takes the faithfulness of his people and uses it for his glory. Over and over in the book of Daniel, people come to a true understanding and faith in God because of faithful followers living out their life in the world. Kings and nations will be called to faith because of the everyday witness of God's servants in their lives. So how do we do this? How do we put down roots and thrive where God has placed us? Cool thing about this text is Jeremiah just lays out the methodology and it's pretty simple. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. He says, seek the well-being of the city and the people where you're located. Pray to God on their behalf. And don't be deceived by all the outside noise and people telling you other things to do. So that's our next point. We shine for God in the world by praying and pursuing the well-being of the world, by the well-being of our city. You can't read this text of the Jewish exiles without fast-forwarding to the New Testament epistles and how they describe Christians today as exiles in a foreign land. Philippians 3.20, 1 Peter 2.11, Hebrews 13.14, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8, Romans 12.2, and many other passages describe Christians as exiles in a foreign land here on earth. We said earlier, our citizenship lies in heaven. So how do we function? How do we live our lives here on earth? And the mission, purpose, and answer is here in Jeremiah 29 as God addresses another group of exiles. As we mentioned earlier, uh, there were a lot of false prophets in the exiles' ears telling them things that were simply not true. There were false prophets whispering tales of prosperity to come. Tales of the brevity of their current situation. Tales that they were to isolate themselves and wait for the Lord's imminent rescue. In a similar similar way, there are people whispering into our ears a similar message. A couple of examples, and there are several more. uh, But I, I think about Hananiah's message. And within the Christian subculture, there are thousands and thousands of books on the end times. And most of these books involve the near and easy rescue of Christians from this world. And while the end times are a fine thing to study because they remind us of God's goodness and His victory and His greatness, many of these books are at best educated guesses and are often false prophecy. These are people trying to limit our responsibility and our commitment to our call today and they instead call us to dream of a future which rarely sticks true to God's Word. Many are Hananiah prophesying that our time here in exile on this world is limited and God's going to return imminently and it's going to be easy and quick. Jeremiah tells us that it's not all about the future. It's not all about the return to your land. He says, in the moment, seek the peace and the prosperity of the people around you, so they too might know the hope of God. Or in other words, in the moment, make the community we're in better, so that our influence, by our influence, all might know the Savior. We rest in the promise of God's victory. We rest in the promise of eternal life. We look forward and we long for that. But we live today with purpose, with the mission, the mindset of leading as many as possible to righteousness and eternal life in Jesus as we can. The temptation for the exiles uh, have been to stick together and to avoid Babylon. Their temptation was to spend all their time reminiscing about home. And today there will be people that whisper in our ears of the glory days and they will call us to retreat into a Christian subculture. To spend all of our time in a church building with only Christian people to isolate ourselves from the evils of the world. They will call us to seek personal and familial safety, well-being, protection, and comfort over all other things. But that's not what Jeremiah tells us and that's not the pattern of the New Testament. The book of Acts serves as the the blueprint for the church and for reaching the world with the hope of Jesus. And the book of Acts primarily takes place in the world, not in church buildings. In fact, 39 of the 40 miracles in Acts take place not in a church building, but out in the community or the world. God desires not just to move in buildings, but he desires to move through us to be made known as we go about our daily lives in the midst of the world. Jeremiah says, seek the well-being of the city of Babylon of all places. Babylon was an immoral community that did not seek God in the least. Yet the instruction from God isn't to bunker down as individuals and collectively and protect themselves from the evil of the empire. But the instruction is to pray for the city and seek its well-being. To lead as many as possible to righteousness in relationship with him. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, uh, He makes himself a slave to all people so that as many as possible might know Jesus. Paul says, I don't seek my comfort, my ease, my pleasure, my safety, but above all things, I place the well being and salvation of those around me. I want to do whatever it takes to bring as many to possible with heaven, to heaven with me. John Piper has an amazing blog on this. He wrote this blog on being exiles in American culture. Here's what he says He says, Christian exiles are not passive. We do not smirk at the misery or the merrymaking of a moral culture, but we weep, or we should. This is my main point. Being exiles does not mean being cynical. It does not mean being indifferent or uninvolved. The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat, but where it can, it saves and seasons, and where it can't, it weeps. And the light of the world does not withdraw, saying good riddance to godless darkness, but it labors to illuminate not dominate. Being Christian exiles in American culture does not end our influence, but it takes the swagger out of it. We don't get cranky that our country has been taken away. We don't whine about the triumphs of evil. We are not hardened with anger. But we understand because this is is not new. This was the way it was in the beginning. Antioch, Corinth, Athens, Rome. The empire was not just degenerate, it was deadly. He goes on, speaking of the early church, he says it was a time for influence as it is now, but not with huffing and puffing as is to reclaim our lost laws, but with tears, persuasion, and perseverance, knowing that the folly of racism, the exploitation of the poor, the degrading of education, the horror of abortion, and the collapse of heterosexual marriage are the tragic death tremors of joy, not the victory of the left or right. The greatness of Christian exiles is not success, but service. Whether we win or lose, we witness to the way of truth, beauty, and joy. We don't own culture and we don't rule it, but we serve it with broken-hearted joy and long-suffering mercy for the good of man and the glory of Jesus Christ. I love that. Christian exiles, we don't mock the culture. We don't get together and whine about the culture. We don't grow angry or indifferent and distant from the culture. But instead, we should be weeping, praying, and doing all we can to love, serve, serve, and influence the culture around us. And that's the instruction here in Jeremiah as well. We are to pray for the city and seek its well-being. So if you want to shine for Jesus in this world, if you want to live out his call and his mission on your life, then you're going to be praying for the world, praying for our city, for our friends and family members that are far from him. Prayer is probably the most underutilized but powerful tool we have for influencing our attitudes, our friends, and our city. If we want to truly shine for God and lead people to Jesus in Green River, then it is going to take us being connected in the community in such a way that we know the lostness of the people. We know it personally and it breaks our heart. We should be weeping, crying out to the Lord, fasting, and begging the Holy Spirit to move and change our friends in our city and draw them to himself. It's not programs, a church building, a preacher, anything like that that's going to change our city. It is God moving, as only he can do, and us following his lead. And when we pray, it, it opens us to his leading. When we pray, it changes our perception of people and culture. It's really easy to view people and culture as the enemy. But when we pray for them, it changes our attitude from hate to love, from fear of culture to courage and faith in God. And in that, we begin to see people as God sees them. The lost around us are valued by God. They are treasured by God. They are loved by God. They are loved by him so much that while they were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Jesus died. Lost people are not the enemy of the church. They are the purpose of the rescue mission of God's story. If we are to ever grow arrogant in our faith, may we all remember that we too were once lost and without hope as well. The only difference between us and them is that someone along the way prayed for us and loved us enough to shine the light of Jesus before us. So we pray for our city. We pray for our friends that don't yet know the Lord. And then Jeremiah says we are to seek their peace and prosperity. We shine for Jesus in the world by seeking the peace, prosperity, and well-being of the world, of our community. This is such a shocking statement from God through, through Jeremiah. Babylon was the enemy They were who they were taught to hate, and yet God says pray for them. But not only pray for them, but seek peace and prosperity for them. We're not just called to pray that God would rain down judgment on those around us or or pray that he would transform them so they'd be kinder to us. But we are called to pray for them and then actively work to see the world succeed and find peace. This had to have sounded crazy. And it does sound crazy, but that was the exile's instruction. and It is our instruction today. Our world, our job, our friends should be blessed, should be better because of our presence as Christians. And our community should be blessed and should be better because of our presence as a church. Our city should be better because we exist and are here. So how do we seek the world's peace and prosperity? We do that by loving those around us unconditionally as no other people love them. We do that by serving those around us as no other people do. And we do this by putting their well-being and their eternity over our preferences and comforts. Paul says he becomes all things not because they are fun or more comfortable for him, but so that as many as possible might know life in Jesus. If we want to shine, then we do all we can to love, to serve, and make our world better. Missiologist Leslie Newbegin said the purpose of the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. The call, the purpose, the mission of the church and the mission of our lives is to pray and seek the well-being of our community so that as many as possible might find righteousness and forgiveness in Jesus. Our mission is not to collect as much wealth as possible, to live as comfortable lives as possible, to be as risk-adverse as possible, to live in fear, to never interact with the world around us. But the mission of our lives is to pray and leverage all that we have so that as many as possible might know the saving grace of Jesus. That was the mission of the exiles in Babylon, and that is the mission of the exiles known as the church today if we want to shine for Jesus in this world, if we want to live out the call and mission God has placed in our lives, then we have to embrace that God has placed us where we are for a reason. We have to invest where God has placed us. And we have to live our lives praying and seeking the welfare of our community, not just ourselves. But I would guess that there are some that hear that and you start saying, yeah, but, right? Yeah, but the world is a bad place. How can I trust God to take care of me? my family, my children in the midst of this world. I'm not sure it's worth the risk to trust God and live my life in this culture, in this world. I think I'm gonna bunker down, I'm gonna isolate, I'm gonna take care of myself and my family. And it's hard. But the promise of the scripture is that God is greater, he is sovereign, and all of his promises are always true. In fact, God answers it this, this question in this scripture, It's within this context that Jeremiah records this one of the most famous and often out-of-context verses in the American church. It's in this context that we get this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Now, when we read this verse, typically, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So often in the American church, images of suburbia, of two-car garages and picket fences, new cars, safety and comfort are what come to mind. But God's purposes as we have seen are so much bigger than that. The promise here is amazing and so much greater than just a token poster for material things in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of the world, God had a plan for the exiles. He has a plan for us that is good and is eternal. A plan for a hope and a future in which we share the good news of Jesus with the world around us. A plan for a hope and a future that includes us. We can rest in that. God holds it all, including you and your family, in his hands, and he is good. It's a plan that is secure. It's a a plan of God that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, which we know in the eternity where there is no more hurt, no more pain, and no more difficulty. When things are hard, when people are difficult, when culture seems impossible and change seems far away, we hold on to this promise of God. And we have faith and hope not in ourselves, but in God who is all-powerful, who is sovereign, and who is good. It's that conviction that is going to be the foundation of faith for Daniel and his friends. And it is that conviction that God is powerful, He is sovereign, and He is good. It is our foundation for our faith today. But notice the promise here is predicated on the people's faithfulness to call on God, to pray to Him, to seek Him with all their hearts. That action is foundational and essential to the covenantal promise we see here. We can count on God to give us a future, to give us hope, to protect us. But we also must be seeking him, calling to him and following him with all our hearts. And so that's our final point today as we uh, as we start to land this plane. If we want to shine for God in this world, then I or we must believe in him, must seek him with all our heart. We saw this last week as well, but God desires our hearts. He desires all of us. He desires our hearts, our minds, our soul. So if we want to live out God's mission, if we want to live within his will, if we want to prosper, and live our lives under His hedge of protection, that we must be seeking Him with all of us. We can't follow God in this world and accomplish His purposes on our own, or in seeking our own own will or our own glory. It is only in seeking after God with all our hearts that we can experience all that God desires for us and has planned for our lives. There are really practical ways in which we can do this, by praying and remaining in relationship with God throughout our day. We do this by creating rhythms in our life that are centered around God and not us. We do this by coming to church and hearing the spoken word and spending time with other followers that are also seeking after God and his purposes and his mission. We do this by reading God's word and seeking to apply it to our lives. We do it by knowing God's work and making it the foundational truth for our lives. We do this by praying for humility and viewing all that we have as a gift from God. We do this by seeking God's will, his glory, his fame over our own. As we seek God with all our hearts, we are promised a life that will shine in this world. We are promised a life that will make an eternal impact. We are promised a life that will make a difference. By his grace, if we seek God with all our hearts, he will allow us as fallen, frail, broken individuals to join him in the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. And there is no greater purpose, hope, and future than that. Sean's going to come, and he's going to close us um, in a final psalm. But before that, I just want to talk to you uh, about some different places that you might be within this passage. And I want to close us in prayer. First of all, you might be here today, or you might be watching online, and you don't yet know of a God that loves you so much. A God that loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die so that your sins could be forgiven. So that you can know him personally. So that you can spend eternity with him. If that's you, then my prayer for you today is that this would be a first step in your relationship with him. Or maybe you're ready and you would surrender today. Say, God, I want to follow you. I want to experience your forgiveness and your love and your grace. If that's you, you can, in your seat with a surrender heart, pray something as simple as, God, I know that I have sinned and I have gone against you. I know that you love me and that because you love me, you sent Jesus to die the death that my sin deserved. God, I believe that Jesus rose victorious over death. And he lives today and offers that life. God, I want to follow you. The Bible says, you say pray something like that with a surrendered heart. You are forgiven and you will inherit eternal life with him. So that's you. Would you just fill out a welcome card or talk with a friend or come talk with me? Take a step to knowing who Jesus is and maybe surrendering today. For many, we are here and we are followers of Jesus. And maybe you want to get on board with the mission of God, but there is something that's holding you back. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's apathy, maybe it's a need for comfort, but there is something that is holding you back from seeking God with all your heart. If God reveals that to you today, would you seek Him? Would you surrender that? Would you completely join the mission, not just partially? Would you jump into the mission of God and not just dip a toe in it? Or maybe you're here today and you are ready to join the mission fully. You don't want to just live a life that that is for yourself, but you want to live for the glory of God and make Him known. If that's you, if a person comes to mind or a family comes to mind, would you begin to intentionally pray for them? Maybe God gives you a way you can serve them this week. Would you practically think that through and then go and do it? Not just in theory, but go and serve and pray the way God is leading you. on what God is saying to you today, and as we close in prayer, as we close in prayer and as we sing, Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that in your love you sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven and we could experience eternal life with you. God, we thank you for that love. We thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners, and you sent Jesus to die for us. God, I pray that as we live out our lives as exiles in this world, Lord, that we would live our lives with purpose and intentionality. That we would live our lives knowing that we are where we are for a reason. God, we pray that we would live our lives investing where you have placed us. God, I pray that we would live our lives not deceived by the messages of the world or false prophets, but that we would live our lives praying and seeking the well-being of those around us. God, I pray that you would use us as individuals and as a church to share your hope uh, with the city of Green River and beyond. And God, I pray that you would use uh, our light to shine and that you would use our light to draw many to faith in you. God, my prayer is that by your grace, many would find salvation and hope and forgiveness through us. God, we thank you that you've given our life's purpose and a mission. That you have given us the joy of joining you on the greatest rescue mission this world will ever know. God, may we honor you and live our lives for your glory. And it's your name we pray, amen.